you would, grab your Bibles, Psalm 100. Psalm 100. In case you missed Sunday school this morning, they say it could not be done. But I taught the entirety of the book of Job in one lesson. That is how you know the Lord is amazing. No idea how I got through all that. but uh, And I was only five minutes late. I did run over. All right. I did run over by a few minutes. But uh, that's pretty good for teaching 42 chapters in uh, 55 minutes. So that was, I'll, I'll take it. I will take it. Uh, Psalm 100. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole chapter. All five verses, all right? Uh, He says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. Uh, This is one of the, probably one of the most famous of the Psalms, Psalm 100. Uh, Not quite on the level of Psalm 23 or maybe Psalm 1, but uh, most people at least know that start. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Uh, And ultimately, uh, music, songs, that surrounds us constantly. You think just for, just for, I mean, you go anywhere. Uh, you go to a store, you go to a restaurant, you go uh, really to any business almost. You show up and what do you hear? Well, you hear music. You get put on hold, you're on music. Uh, you, you go into an elevator and you've got music. You go pretty much anywhere and you know what the world has done? I mean, you can walk into parking lots in some places and they're pumping music into the parking lot. And what are they doing? They're just giving you music. Doesn't seem like anything terrible. Uh, they choose music to fill voids of silence and uncomfortableness. People feel uncomfortable, you know, that, well, let's just turn on some music in the back. Let's have some background music, right? That's, that's what people do. Uh, we don't like silence. Uh, we like that music in the background. We opened the service this morning with music. Uh, we do all sorts of things, uh, and we don't, we don't like to not have music around. I love music. Uh, I, I love music, um, and we are in a society where especially music is all over the place, uh, and we understand, though, that music is a powerful tool. It is a powerful tool. Uh, if you don't believe that, Hollywood knows that. How do you know? Because they play music in the background of the movie that you're watching so that you will feel a certain way. It has a power over you. It makes you think a certain way. We're going to get into some of that here this morning. Music is ultimately one of the most powerful things uh, in this life, just physical, that you and I account, encounter that really we ought to know more about. And I think people do a very disservice to themselves because they don't know anything about music. Uh, they really don't. Uh, I don't. I'm no expert on music. Brother Andrew is far more versed in real music than I am. 
Uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare say that I am an expert on any of it. I don't think Brother Andrew would even want to say that he's an expert, although he is far more versed than I am. Uh, we have all these musicians up here. They know more than I do about music. I guarantee it. All right. But I also think we ought not to be ignorant of music. Uh, we, ought, we ought not to be ignorant. It is a very important part of our lives. And I think it is highly important to God. He starts this psalm off with make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Come before his presence with singing and into his courts with prayer. It's all part of making sure that we are singing to the Lord. And music is a part of the praise of God. Now, uh, I believe music has been around long before mankind was around. Now, you can disagree with me on that if you want to, but you're wrong. And uh, anyway, so I'll get into that in a minute, but um, you're wrong. You can ask me later. Uh, don't call Pastor Legault today. I won't put anything on him today, all right? You can go ahead and just ask me. Uh, but Lucifer, Ezekiel chapter 28. You have Lucifer. He is the anointed cherub that covereth. I'm not going to go to all the verses, but you can read the chapter. Talking to the devil inside of the man, the prince of Tyrus there. And he says that uh, every precious stone was thy covering of the sardis, the topaz, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sardine stone, and so on. And he says, and of the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes. So what's that? Tabrets are drums. They're, they're tapping, tapping things. They keep, drums aren't wicked, by the way. Uh, I'm not all for putting them up here, uh, but drums are there. If they're done right, you know what they're for? Just for timing. They just keep the beat so that you understand what the beat is. Now you get into some worldly music, and I'm going to get into some of that stuff here in a minute, but uh, you get into some worldly music, and they mess with the beat. They make it sensual, and that's the problem with it. The problem is it starts moving that beat to the wrong area. It changes it and morphs it into what they want it to do so it can get you to think a certain way. And I'm going to get into that here in a moment. But he was made with tabrets and he was made with pipes. Now, today, we don't have a pipe organ over there, right? We couldn't afford to put a pipe organ in this place, uh, right? But the idea, that used to be a piped instrument, airflow. Uh, Brother Russ was over here with his trombone and uh, Bethany had the, had the trumpet and we got... And you say, what are they doing? They're using a pipe, ultimately, right? There's, there's a tube right there, and they're playing. Uh, Hannah, Hannah had the baby. Brother Andrew was up leading, so we didn't have any flutes up here. Or a piccolo, or anything else that Brother Andrew feels like he can pick up and just play, because uh, I dislike those people. My wife's one of those people. Oh, let's just pick that up. I'll learn that in a week. Oh, whatever. Um, they make me sick. Anyways, but here they are. You say, what was he designed with? He was designed with music built literally into him. The instruments were there and they were availed. And his job as the anointed cherub that covereth was to praise the God of the universe that he was supposed to be worshiping. Lucifer was bearer. He was supposed to reflect and reflect, refract the light of God. That's what the gems and the gold, by the way, that's the new Jerusalem, you and I, when we get to heaven for all of eternity. If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to be in the place where the Lamb is the light thereof, and He's inside of, a, of an entire structure that is designed with gems and gold. Oh, look, that was Lucifer. We replace him. And you ought to be able to sing the praises that Lucifer had sung before iniquity was found in him and the Lord had to cast him out. 
We find in Job chapter 38 and verse number 7 that as God is laying the foundations, the cornerstone of the earth, as He goes ahead and lays the foundations, all the morning stars sang together. The angels sang the day that the Lord was laying the foundations of the earth. By the way, that would be before mankind showed up, in case you were curious. And music has been around longer than you and I or any of our ancestors had been around. And it was designed with its first purpose, and its only purpose at the time was to glorify the Creator God of the universe. That was His job. Music has been a part of God's creation, and it has been there since before He even laid a foundation stone to this planet. I believe that praise and worship and singing are all part of God's plan, and it is highly important to Him, and it ought to be highly important to us. Realize music is one of the greatest influences that we have on our lives, whether we recognize it or not. You go ahead and I could do this. We could do this literally all day. We have a hymnal with over 800 hymns in it. We could go through song by song and do a whole bunch of them. And the ones that are designed right, which there are many, if not all in there, quite a few, uh, Brother Andrew and I can pick out a few. We don't really like uh, how they designed it. But the design of it was to give God praise. There's certain things, and I can't cover all the things of music. There's no way I'm going to do it. Uh, but there's, there's some main pieces of music that I do want to mention here in my introduction because I'm still in my introduction. Amen. Uh, and there's some pieces, right? You have the melody. That's the thing that everybody recognizes of the song. Right? That's the main, if you're singing lead, if you're singing that, you're, you're the melody. You're, kind of, you're going through and you're doing the, it's the way the song sounds and it plays. There's a rhythm that goes along with that. It's supposed to stay in right cadence, the right timing. Brother Andrew and I struggle sometimes when we're leading music. Why? Because everybody knows this song a different way. I lead you, I led singing at Youth of Blaze. I'm like, you got to follow me, watch me, watch me. And I'm trying to make sure my hands are doing exactly what I want them to do with their mouths so that they understand where that timing is. It's supposed to be predictable. You ever listen to some music and you hear it and it's supposed to be good godly music? But anyways, I'll get into that in a second. Right? And they hold weird things. And you're like, why is that held? Why did they do that? There's a song in our hymnal. I love the song. We sing it that way. We hold it weird. All right, Brother Andrew was struggling on how can it be? How can it be? How can it be? Was ever grace so full and free? Everybody's used to holding that. There's no hold there. Brother Andrew was like, so full and free from heights. And everybody else is like, what? First verse, everybody was confused. Y'all were confused, weren't you? He kept the tempo. Nobody else did. He kept that rhythm. And everybody else was like, uh, there's one that really annoys me, and so I'll ruin it all for all of you too. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. Uh, there's zero hold there. It should be hallelujah, what a Savior. But we hold it weird. So why do we hold it weird? Because everybody, somebody before us held it weird. We have continued this weird tradition of holding it. All right? Uh, but you get into some songs, and they're just weird. They change that little tempo. 
they speed up in a spot and they slow down. And they change the rhythm. They change that cadence from what it's supposed to be. Say, so what is that doing? That is changing the music to something that is not right. By the way, all unrighteousness is sin. I'm going to say that one more time. It's not right. So then remember, all unrighteousness is sin. Even in your music. Not only do you have the melody, you have the rhythm, you have the timing, the tempo, how quick we're going to go. Now that is done on purpose. We do that on purpose. We do that on certain things. We hold certain things on purpose and we also slow down on purpose. The pace of a song sometimes is very different from what you would want it to be. But sometimes it's done on purpose. You slow down to think about the words. Brother Andrew purposely slowed down the end of how can it be there. Y'all noticed. I know you did because you started to get ahead of him for a second. Then you realized what he was doing. He was slowing it down. Say, so what is that for? That is to help you understand what you're doing. We do it, we do it all over the place. Uh, you realize if you sang uh, Master the Tempest is Raging at an ultra-slow pace, it would not be raging. There's no raging there. But if you sang It Is Well With My Soul at rapid speed, you also would have no peace. It's not designed to do that. How many of you, and I'm just going to slide a couple of wonderful examples in, how many of you know the song Amazing Grace? Right? Amazing. Everybody pretty much knows that song, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And then you go ahead. Have you ever heard anybody do Amazing Grace bad? Right? They did that badly. I mean, awful. So what did they do? Usually, they changed the tempo and they changed the rhythm. You and I would agree they did it badly. But isn't it the same words? Oops, I said it. Last part that I'm going to talk about, there's some people vary. There's five parts of music, there's seven parts of music, there's eight parts of music, there's ten parts, I don't know. Brother Andrew will answer that. Um, how many parts there really are. Uh, the, last, the last portion I'm going to mention are the words. So why did you mention that last? Because most people go, well, the words are okay, so it must be fine. No, you messed up the earlier parts. And if part of it's bad, last time I checked, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. So now you're messing with something. You go, well, no, no, the words are okay. Okay. Uh, there's an unclean spirit in this woman. <laughs> yeah, listen to Paul. He's, he's right. He's from God. He's amazing. What does he tell her? Shut up. Why? Because the spirit behind the voice no matter how good the words are, have tainted the voice. You cannot have sanitized music. Say, so what do you mean by that? You can't take it just because the words are great and go ahead and wash it and make it clean so that you can go ahead and put it over here and act like it's okay. Because the spirit does not match the words. Well, I eliminated the drums and the beat in the background. And everything. Yeah, but you still had messed with the tempo. 
you still had messed with the rhythm and the cadence of what music is supposed to be. That's why you can identify the world's music versus God's music. I'm not even going to call it the world's music and Christian music. I'm calling it the world's music and God's music because those are the only two options. And I sit here and you go, well, what do you know? You grew up in church. I went to public school and I listened to all the garbage. All right? I grew up in this church. You know what I did? I listened to the right things when I was here. I listened to the wrong things when I wasn't here. I know plenty of the terrible music. I don't need a, I don't need a wonderful course to tell me the difference between the world's music and God's music. Some of you are fortunate you've never heard the world's music. I hope you don't. But that's a rarity. And most of you can easily pick out the world's music from God's music. You say, what's the difference? I don't even have to be able to explain it or put it in words. You know what the difference is. And you know what the world has tried to do? They've tried to get a, a Christian to go ahead and take God's music and mix in a little bit of the world and say, well, see, it's fine. All the words are good. That is not good. And it is highly important that the Christian figure out that the world's music is not supposed to be theirs. Because it is not God's music and it's not godly music. Say, so, well, the Lord, the Lord spoke to me and so it was great. I'm glad the Lord spoke to you. But you realize that Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant too? So what does that mean? That means God can use wicked men to accomplish a purpose. Just because he used a wicked man to write a song that goes ahead and you go, oh, well, that was great and it helped me in my time of need. Okay, well, God can use terrible things to bring about good things. He's a wonderful God like that. That does not justify the fact that you listen to it. You seem pretty excitable about this. Is this a hobby horse? No, it's Bible. I just am very passionate about it. Music has been a part of God's creation. And you say, why, why are you so passionate about it? I'm going to get to this here soon. I'm gonna get, I don't want to get ahead of me. Music is so important to God because it's part of His worship. I'm going to make this statement now and I'm going to make it later. Who do you worship with yours? Music is attached to worship and even the world knows it. And so I'm going to get into this message. I better pray. Father, I do. I come before you, Lord. I don't want to say anything I shouldn't say this morning. I know I'm, I'm passionate about this topic in particular. But Father, I do pray you'd help me to say it the right way. Lord, help my speech be grace, seasoned with salt. Help it to be, Father, the right word, a word fitly spoken. Father, help me to do things the way you want me to do it. But Father, this is a dangerous topic, whether people realize it or not. And so, Lord, I do pray you would help me. Lord, help those, Father, that may be deceived, Lord, that are listening, or maybe somebody who's deceived that may listen to this later and they may see something and go, oh, hey, I might want to watch, listen to that. So, Father, I do pray you'd help it to be a blessing and a help and, a, and a, an encouragement, Lord, to those that are here this morning. And Father, we do pray if someone here is lost, I know this message isn't going to be geared more, mostly to them, but Father, I pray they would come to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And Lord, they'd have their sins forgiven forever and they'd know they've got a home in heaven. Father, you can speak to their heart. Lord, I pray that you would. Father, once again, we pray you'd get the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so music is very important. It's vital. It's 
vital to our lives. It's all over the place. We hear it. We know it. It's all around us. And the question is, well, what's going on with it? So uh, go back to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. All the way back to Exodus. Now, if you don't know what's happening in the book of Exodus, by chapter 32, the children of Israel have come out of bondage in Egypt. They've overthrown. God has overthrown Pharaoh and his army. The children of Israel have continued on, and now here they are, and Moses is up on Mount Sinai getting the tables of stone from God. Joshua's there waiting for him. Aaron and the people are like, where did Moses go? Why isn't he back yet? Aaron, you need to do something. So what do they come up with, right? They come up with, give me all of your gold earrings and break everything off. Give me all your gold. I'll melt it down and I'll make you some calves and you can worship these calves. And they do all these crazy things. Now, I'm not going to get into all the other things that go along with this idea, but I will slide this in. The face of a cherub is the face of an ox. Lucifer was a cherub. What'd they make? They made ox. They made cattle. Who are they worshiping? Okay. So I'm not going to cover anything more than that. But that's the God that they made. Verse number 17, they're coming down. They're coming down off the mountain. Exodus 32, 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted... He said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery. Neither is the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that, do, that sing do I hear. <coughs> music, music is attached to our suppositions, how we think. How we think. Now notice what happened right here. He goes ahead. And they're coming down, and in Joshua's statement is, that sounds like war. By the way, you ever pull up next to a car and wonder if there's a war going on? Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. You know, anyways, they're still, they're still going with their stock speakers, you know, so their whole car's shaking. Anyways, I'm not going to make fun of them any longer. I'll come back to it probably, but, you know, for now, we'll move on. Say, so what do they hear? They hear the noise of war. That's what Joshua's, Joshua's like, man, they're in trouble. And Moses goes, no, that's singing. How do you mix those two up? But you and I both know you can. Then it must not have been godly music. They were, they were thinking about the wrong things. And Moses and Joshua heard it, and you know what they thought? They thought the worst of what they heard. By the way, I'm going to slide this in right now. Why not? Uh, you pull up next to a vehicle, and all you hear is that subwoofer, and all you hear is that bass hitting, and all you hear is that music going out. How much of the words do you ever hear? You don't hear the words. You just know that car's shaking over there. Whatever he's listening to. 
But what if it's talking about Jesus? Well, it's got a look of a world. So whether it's got the name Jesus in it or not makes no difference. It's not the right sound. It changes how you think. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The Apostle Paul is talking about speaking in tongues and prophesying and doing all those things, which those things have passed, spiritual gifts as such have passed, but I won't get into that. Verse number seven, he says this, even things without life giving sound. Well, what kind of things? Whether pipe or harp, music, except they give a distinction in the sounds. 1 Corinthians 14, 7. It, how, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? Music is distinct. And it's supposed to be. You ought to be able to tell between the world's music and God's music. You ought to be able to figure out which one's which. So, well, I don't know which one's which. Oh, you better start figuring it out. Why? Because that's important to God. It's about who you're going to worship. I'll get to that here soon. But you do realize that what you think and how you act, whether we're ready for battle or not, is based upon whether you can figure out what the music is. Well, then that's pretty important pretty important if the music is right or if it's not right. It's pretty important if the music indicates what you want it to indicate or if it's indicating something that's not right. And it's not the words. It's what's being done on the pipe and the harp and the trumpet and whatever sound is coming out. Music will affect you either positively or negatively. It gives you the connotation. It tells you how to think. You and I know, right? You're sitting there. If you like scary movies, right? They get the suspenseful music going, and you're sitting there, and you're, you start getting on edge. That way, they get you on edge on purpose. Why? So when the killer jumps out, you jump. If you're not on edge, you probably don't jump. Say, so what are they doing? They want you to think. They want you to think the way they want you to think. They want your mindset in the way that they can get you to think the way you want to think. People sit there and they go, well, I'm feeling depressed. Well, what do you listen to? I listen to country music. Where the guy lost his dog and his truck and his house and his wife and everything else and nobody cares about me and everybody's awful and life is terrible and I don't know why I'm depressed. Of course, country music is trying to turn into rock music, but anyways, I won't get into that. A lot of areas I'm trying not to get into this morning. We'd be here forever. Well, I don't know why my kid's angry all the time. All they listen to is rap music and rock music. Boy, I don't know why that would be. 
Boy, I, I don't know why I keep having these terrible thoughts. Maybe it's the music you listen to. Because it's the thing that's conditioning you on what you're going to think. Say, well, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Okay, okay. How many of you have ever learned a verse of Scripture because of a song? Right? You can remember the words to that. And then you struggle at other verses that you don't have a song for, right? Why is it your mind? Can it pick up on the words to a song, but it can't pick up on the words to a Bible without it? Why is it that if you walk into a grocery store, some of you, right, we're the ones in our 30s, maybe into your 40s, some of you that are older probably still, but right now, 30s and 40s, we're the ones that are supposed to be the object of their desire to get us to spend money. That's the truth. Go ahead and research. Why is it that when we walk into Walmart, every song we hear are songs from when we were a teenager? Almost every one of them. Why is it that you and I can recall those from 20 years ago that we haven't listened to? It's not like I've been listening to it for the last 20 years. Why is it that you can recall? Why is it that you folks that are older than I am, why is it that you can recall every Beatles song that's ever been because you listen to it all the time? Why is it you can go back whatever your, whatever your favorite dude was and whatever your favorite group and your band was, you go back, you can remember all those like nothing. For some reason, somebody says the first word and all of a sudden that's back in your head because you've been conditioned to think it. Conditioned to think. You know what I like? Brother Andrew can do it now. Probably, I think Brother Andrew can do it better than me now. Uh, I don't do it as often because I don't lead anymore. But boy, he and I, we used to have, when we were picking songs together, because we did that for a little while, uh, we could, we could, I mean, we could rip off song title, song number, every word of the song. He and I had no problems. Uh, and just going, boom, boom, boom. Let's sing that one. Let's sing that one. Hey, this song has that phrase in it. It should go with that one, and we should do that. Say, so how do you have all that? Because you learn it. And you can think it. And it changes the way that you think. Isn't it amazing that songs get stuck in your head? Hmm. Sometimes there's songs you don't want. Amen? You went to Walmart, you went in wherever, and all of a sudden that song came on, you're like, Lord, I don't want to think about this song. You know what amazes me? It amazes me that Christians will walk into that same store and they hear the same song and they'll start singing it before they even know it. And instead of catching themselves and shutting it down and going, Lord, I don't know what my flesh got in that, they sing it all the way. Forgetting that they're under a new master. Look over at 1 Samuel. I better keep moving. I can do a whole lot on this topic. And I'm trying to keep it in one message. <laughs> trying, trying to make accomplishments today. Job in one, in one Sunday school lesson. And the importance of music in one message. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, if you know any background about this, uh, this would be King Saul, right? And 1 Samuel 16. You've got King Saul. And... Uh, 
Verse number 14, Saul has failed, right? 1 Samuel chapter 16, we heard that last time. 1 Samuel 16, 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who can tell you all these great things. Who can give you some great counsel. No, who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, and mighty, a mighty man, valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. So David shows up, verse 23. It came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And the evil spirit departed from him. Not only does it control how you think your suppositions, it controls your spirit. It has a major effect on your spirit, how you feel. I mentioned some of this a little bit. It ties in together with your how you think and how you feel. How you feel, Saul needs David to play to get rid of the feelings that he's having. That is not shocking to anybody in this room, I don't think. That what you listen to music-wise changes how you feel. By the way, if I wanted to, I could have Brother Andrew come up here. I could have Brother Michael, whoever, you know, grab one of the 25 million piano players we got. Uh, have him come up here. And I could, have, I could say, Brother Andrew, I need something to make some tears start to flow. Grab me, grab me a couple songs. You know what he could do? He could start playing, and we could start bringing some emotions in. By the way, emotions don't make a change. I can make anybody get emotional. You tell the right story, you play the right song, right? You do all those, and all of a sudden you get, you get that tear. Why is it, right, you get, I, I hope I don't spoil a movie right here. Why is it that at the end of the movie, an old yeller is going to get put down here. Uh, why is it that you're crying about it? Dog's not real. No dogs were harmed in the production of this film. All right. Why is it that you are shedding a tear over a dog? That isn't your dog and isn't even dead. Oh, just the music, just playing the scene down and getting you to think and to feel what we want you to feel. The world knows that. The world knows that that changes what you are going to feel. The world knows that the music they put on and all the background and all the things, all those pieces are supposed to make you feel a certain way. And if you feel that way, we can manipulate what you're about to do. 
I can drum up an invitation. We can go ahead and have this place filled. Every Sunday, we could get everybody down here, and everybody would break, and everybody would be crying, and the invitation would be about 14 hours by the time we got it all done. But we go ahead and get it done. But it'd all be emotions. Now, I'm not saying your emotions shouldn't be stirred. Your emotions should be stirred by music. Who in here has not been in a very good service, and you go ahead and you get feeling great, and I mean, we did it at Youth Ablaze. We do it here and over again the music gets going and you get thinking about the words to that song and you get that music it's built in those two things are supposed to go together master of the tempest is raging right you're building up and coming down and you're building up and you're com- like you're on the waves of that storm and it's rocking you all over the place and you're going up and down with the storms and then all of a sudden it's peace peace be still So what did, you're supposed to feel that. Music is supposed to do that to you. You get to it as well with my soul. One of my favorite things to do, you all know, I do it, right? We hold out that last verse, that big triumphant moment right there, and then we shut it down to zero. So why do you do that? So that when you come back in on, it is well, it stays nice and quiet. Because you're so at peace. And although that huge buildup was there, it's not about the buildup. It's about the peace because it is well with my soul. Music is supposed to do that. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I am saying that the world's music puts you in the wrong emotions. It gets you to think the wrong way. It gets you to feel the wrong things, and it's not godly. And if you start to incorporate so much of that into the music you put into the church, you will end up with Christians who are full of emotions and driven on emotions, and you no longer have the sensibility of the spiritual mind that is supposed to be. The the Lord didn't say, let these emotions be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also... We're supposed to think like him, and the emotions will follow the right thought process. That's the rule. You don't let your emotions dictate. You let your knowledge and your mind and what you understand dictate, and your emotions follow what you know. And instead, we've got Christians who go, well, I feel this way, and you can't tell me any different because this is how I feel. Say, where did they learn that? They learned that from their music. You can't tell me how I feel. Okay, stop letting your feelings run you. Go and find out what God said. If our salvation was conditional on how we feel, you and I would be in a world of trouble. But if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth. Oh, look, there's the mind. Knoweth all things. I know I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior, so my sins are forgiven. Well, I feel lousy because I messed up today. Okay, well, my feelings are overridden by my knowledge that there's a promise from God that if I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. We've got a bunch of worldly-minded Christians who go carnal because they go, well, I want to feel a certain way, so bump up the drums and pound it away and make me feel and be happy.
Acts chapter 16, we won't go there. Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 26, you have two times. Paul's in prison. You know what they sing? They sing songs. They sing in prison. So why did they do that? I think it was so they'd keep their spirits up. Ephesians chapter 5. Yeah, let's go there. Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to see it. You say, what were Paul and Silas singing in prison? I don't know, but they may have grabbed some psalms. You realize the book with the most chapters in your Bible is a book of songs? The psalms are songs. Now, you and I might not know the tune. We don't have the melody, but we certainly have the words. And we understand that those were sung and they were done on purpose. Why is it when you're in trouble, you go to the Psalms to read? Probably because it's songs to a heavy heart. And you go to the Psalms and you'll find comfort. It changes how you feel. Oh, amazing. Almost like God designed it that way. Ephesians chapter 5, of course, and verse number 17 Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. He wants you to know His will. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, in case those of you who want to talk about alcohol later, feel free. You can ask me. Wherein is not how much you drank, it is what you drank. The wine has some excess in it. Say, so what is the excess? The alcohol. And there's a spirit that goes along with that wine. Because he contrasts it with, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Holy Spirit, capital S, right there. Well, how do I do that? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Amazingly enough, that's how you get filled with the Spirit. And if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're filled with something. I have a wonderful little sign in my office. Dr. Howe gave it to me. Printed it off just a little... Nothing fancy, just says, maybe we're not hungry for Christ because we're too full of ourselves. I look up at that on occasion, and I think, why did you look at that? What are you getting filled with? We let the world, I understand, you work a job, you go places, you're in a store, you're out of a store, you're doing all those things. You have life. We're in the world. I understand that. But why do you let so much of the world into you? Aren't you supposed to be able to safeguard yourself? Aren't you supposed to be able to make it so that that doesn't have the same effect on you still? 
aren't you supposed to defend yourself? So what do I do? First thing would be stop singing them. Now, gentlemen, I know you know how to tune your wife out. Ladies, you spend all day with those kids, I know you know how to tune them out. What we don't want to listen to, we can start shutting down. It's just you've never practiced shutting down music. You've never tried to keep it from staying in your head. You allow it entry over and over and over again. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you hear it a million times in this verse. You know what? It helps with your music too. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Well, that includes your music, doesn't it? Well, then you ought to be able to take your music and captivate it and give it to the Lord and say, I don't want to think about that song. Give it to him and say, I don't need that. Give me a different song. Now, every good song, he says it, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. I am not saying that a song written nearer to today's date than 1702 is not good. But that's why he tells you to try the spirits, whether they be of God. You can figure out if the music was written right. You can figure out if it was good or if it's bad. Say, well, I don't really know. I can't decipher that. Talk to Brother Andrew. I'm going to put him on the spot. He's my music man. <laughs> so I get to do that. If you aren't sure, feel free, ask me. I have no problems. I've told people before, that music's terrible. <laughs> that one's awful. I'll explain it to you. Here, this is why that's not good. This is, this is bad right here. Because we are having a society, we are having Christianity today that is so carnal and worldly. And they go, well, I mean, I go to church and I do this and I do that. But in their private life, everything they do and listen to and have are part of this carnal worldly side. And it affects how they think and it affects how they feel. And lastly... Turn over to Daniel chapter 3. The book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. Now if you don't know the story of Daniel, Daniel is a Jewish young man. He is brought into captivity the Chaldeans have brought him in. They're in Babylon. Him, along with whatever of the choicest royalty, the best of the best of the nation of Israel are brought in. And they are put under the charge of the Chaldeans who are going to go ahead and make some changes. Now, amazingly enough, I'll get to chapter 3 in a second. Uh, the Babylonians, what they wanted to do was they wanted to change and I almost thought about preaching this tonight. I don't think I'm going to. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin it. If I preach this tonight, I ruined it, all right? Uh, but the Chaldeans, what they wanted to do, they wanted to change the mind, the appearance, and all identification of these Hebrew boys. So what did they do? Well, they gave them a new name. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, and Daniel, those weren't good enough, so we've got to go ahead and give them different names. 
So they gave them Chaldean names. So they changed their name. They gave them Babylonian garments. They changed what they dressed like. They changed their diet of food to go ahead and match the king's meat. Now, if I can make a quick comparative for you. Uh, they want you to be called like the rest of the world. When God called you to be a son of God, they want to go ahead and change what you wear so you dress just like them. And, well, why would I want to dress any different? I'd look strange. Yeah, he called you a peculiar people. But anyways, um, why would I want to dress modestly? Oh, because he asked you to. And uh, anyway, I'm going to get all fired up. And uh, let's keep moving, keep moving. And, uh, and then they, he changed what they ate. How's your Bible reading going? Well, I'm watching a lot of Fox News. Okay, well, then you're eating the wrong thing. Well, I'm on Facebook scrolling my messages. I'm Marco Polo listening to everybody else. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and, and just keep going. YouTube, watching, whatever. Okay, yeah, but did you actually get food from God? We've replaced a lot of those things with other things. I read this commentary or I read this book. It was, okay, did you read your Bible? The world is glad when you replace anything of God's with something lesser. So you know what? A commentary or preaching or whatever, they're great things. But they shouldn't take place of getting fed from God. And that's opening a Bible and actually reading it. And then the last thing that they do, you get to chapter 3. I'm not going to read it all for the sake of time. We read basically the whole chapter. You know what happens, right? Nebuchadnezzar makes a golden image. You see it in verse number 1. And he goes ahead and sets it up and he makes the command that everybody that hears, verse number 5, what time ye hear? The sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music. Ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. In case you didn't get it the first time, verse number 7, Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music... All the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now we know that there's three fellows that aren't going to bend, they aren't going to bow, and let's face it, they're not going to burn either. And you get ahead and they're not going to do any of those things. They refuse to be likened with the rest of the Chaldeans. They refuse the king's meat and they refuse to go ahead and bow and worship. They didn't want to change their music out. You recognize the fact that music is attached to worship. Even Nebuchadnezzar knew music equals worship. I don't understand how people in Christian circles, in our, in our churches even, can't figure out that music equals worship. And there is a spirit that goes along with whatever it is you're listening to. And whatever you're listening to, you better figure out what spirit it is. Because whatever you're listening to, that's what you're worshiping. The God behind that music is exactly what you're worshiping. Whether it's a golden calf and you're dancing in front of it and you're singing and it sounds like the noise of war in the camp or if you're singing hymns to an almighty God. 
You're worshiping somebody. It's just so much clearer when it's the golden calf. Well, what happens when I mix Jesus? Well, they'd preach another Christ, wouldn't they? Just because you slapped Jesus on something did not make it holy. I do not understand where that concept came from. It is not a question of, well, they talked about Jesus. And by the way, I'm going to slide this in. Brother Andrew will thank me later. Um, I'm going to slide this in. You know what I hate? Earmark of one of the most contemporary movements around. They never mentioned Jesus. You read down the words of the song and you and I as Christians go, that's got to be Jesus. They let you jump to the conclusion that it's about Jesus. But if it could be a love song about anybody, it's not about Jesus. There's the problem. They sing the love song and they don't talk about Jesus. That way, if they ever want to, they can slide it over to the world. That's not God's music. That's an uncertain sound. You're welcome, Brother Andrew. Thought you should have that. I know what he thinks, so he and I are on the same page. I haven't I have yet to I've yet to have an issue with me and Brother Andrew being on the same page. By the way, if you're not on the same page with the music in this church, uh, you can you can go ahead and feel free to find another one. Because I'm not changing the music that's up on this platform. So I'm I'm being abundantly clear right now. You go ahead and you can, you can, the door's right in the back, feel free. If you need to hurry up, you can hit one of the side exits, I guess. You say, that sounds terrible. I don't care what you do in your private life. You go ahead, you want to keep that garbage in your life, you feel free. That's between you and the Lord. But in this place, I know who I worship. Revelation chapter 5, if you would. You say, that sounds pretty dogmatic. Absolutely. I want, you, I want you to be clear on the lines that are drawn. The Lord doesn't have gray areas. He's not like, oh, this could be moral. Well, maybe I'll let that slide. No, no, he's particular about his music. He's particular about how his church ought to be. And he is particular about who gets his worship. Because it's supposed to be him. The world can worship whatever it is they want to. But God's children? So why are, you so, why are you so fired up about this? Because you're stealing the glory and the worship and the honor and the praise of a holy God and you're giving it to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Now I'm going to calm down again. All right. Revelation chapter 5, we could read the whole chapter. Great question starts the book in, verse, or in the chapter in verse number two. Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? The question of who's worthy. No man in heaven nor in earth. In verse number three, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because my, no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, weep not. We got somebody worthy right here. Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, 
having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse number nine, and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by, the blood, by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And behold, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are as in the sea and all that are there are in them. Heard I saying, Blessed and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him worshipped him that liveth forever and ever all of eternity you know what we'll do we'll sing praises unto our God he's worthy he's worthy of all worship your music indicates who you worship They ought to match. The words and the music ought to match the God that you serve. Say, so, well, maybe I need to think more about that. No, you need to make a change. You need to make a change. It is not a question of, well, I don't really know. You know. You know what the world's music sounds like, and you know what God's music sounds like. So make a choice who you're going to worship. If you choose the world's music, you know what you'll have? You'll have the thoughts and the emotions and the feelings and the worship the world wants you to worship. And you stand here, and you, you, you sit here, actually. You're sitting here, you know what you think? Man, I'd love to be like Daniel. I'd love to be like I'd love to be like those three Hebrew boys sitting there. I'd love to be able to stand up and go, I don't want to, I'm not worshiping. If I brought an idol up here, bunch of you in here, I mean, I hope everybody in here would punch me in the face and tell me to get out of here because I brought some idol in here and told you to come and worship. Well, the devil's not foolish enough to go ahead and do that for you. Instead, he lets you play it on your radio. And he brought the idol in already, and you know what you did? You said, okay, I'll take that. And you still worship. And it might not be a golden little statue right up here. It might not be a golden calf that they set up. But your music proclaims exactly who you're worshiping. Maybe you need to make the choice and go, hey, I don't want that music anymore. Maybe you need to go over and hop on your little iTunes and delete and remove from purchase history. Say, so what do you mean by that? 
I mean, don't make it so you can download it again without paying the fare thereof, Jonah. Go ahead and delete those, but then don't leave anything laying around or don't leave any way to get it back without paying for it again. Say, but I spent a whole lot of money. The Lord spent more on you. Spent more on you. Maybe you got some of them old CDs and records and all that stuff kicking around. Okay, we got plenty of dumpsters around here. Feel free, get rid of it. Say, boy, you seem real dogmatic. You tell the alcoholic to go ahead and dump all his liquor, don't you? Quit going to the bar. Quit doing all these things. You tell the drug addict, quit this and quit that and get it all out of your house and get it away from you and get, it, and get to the place where you aren't listening to it. Isn't that what you do? Well, don't all those things affect your... And don't all those things affect your spirit and how you feel? And don't all those things affect what you worship? Well, then maybe you ought to take as hard of a stand on the music you hold. Man, this guy's hard on music. The Lord, the Lord is hard on music. Because it's a question of who's worthy of your worship. And it's all about Him. Let's go ahead and stand. I know I didn't preach to lost folks today. I don't know if anybody here is lost. They've never accepted Christ as their Savior. I know we got some visitors, but I also know we've got some people who have been coming a very short time. we got some people who have been coming for a while. And I don't know for sure, but you do. You know if you've ever trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible makes it very plain. These things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know today your sins are forgiven forever and that heaven is yours forever, guaranteed, regardless of the music you listen to. Because God wants to save to the uttermost all them that will call upon Him. But Christian, maybe you're in here this morning and you went, I got some areas in my life I better get cleaned up. I'm a closet worshiper. I'm a false god. Okay. You know what's amazing about that? You ask the Lord to forgive you, He forgives you just the same. And you can go ahead and get a victory just the same. Say, you listened to that music before? I did. I did. Thank the Lord He's merciful. And He can give victory. I needed it. I think music's just as addictive as any other drug on the planet. Hard to get rid of and hard to keep out. But it doesn't give you the excuse just to keep it around and hold on to it just because you feel like you're weak. The Bible says when I'm weak, then I'm strong because the Lord Jesus Christ can be my strength and my high tower. Would you be willing to get rid of it today? Father, I do pray you would bless the service this morning. I pray if someone is lost, they would come and ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Pray you'd help us to be able to be a blessing and a witness to them. But Father, I pray our testimony would be a great one. Even with our music, that we'd give you the worship you deserve. Father, we love you. We pray you would come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen.